Well, we are marching to the end of the study of the book of Revelation as we march to the end of all time as Christians and followers of Jesus. Um, it's been a challenging study. It's been a, a joyful study. And just the hopeful understanding, I pray, in our hearts of what God has planned for those who follow him and love him and the challenge of witnessing and be a witness of God's grace for those who reject him. The words to a young pastor towards the end of his mentor's life, and I love the words of those who are, are dying. I've been around some loved ones who were able to share some words of wisdom before they passed on to eternity. Those are focused words. Those are encouraging and challenging words to hear from someone who knows their life is about over. And Paul wrote to Timothy in the second letter that we have in the New Testament, and he said these words. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. It's Revelation 19 and 20. It says, last words to his guy he was mentoring and succeeding pastors throughout generations and those who teach the word. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared all the time, in season and out of season. Correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I think it's very challenging and and stunning to realize Paul is thinking of the God who was coming to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and establishing his kingdom, be faithful to the word. We are called, called to be faithful to God's word no matter what time or season it is. How then... Do we live in this season? We get weary with a war in our hearts, with the flesh and the spirit. We we get tired of waiting for justice. We all want peace in our lives, in our world. And the world around us, we know, cries out for peace. And we begin to think, are the promises of God, are, are they true? Or have I been following a myth We long to see Jesus face to face. Amen? We want to see the reality of grace and truth in person, as John wrote in John 1. We want to to embrace him. We want to see him in authority. We want to see him ruling. And I think we need to be careful and have a check on our own hearts. Impatience is the breeding ground of doubt. And the longer we have to wait for those things, the more challenging it can be to our faith. And I think maybe we reflect the psalmist in Psalm 2. He says, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, his people. And so we long for that to change. And we pray for him to come. We pray for his kingdom to be established, as the prophets 
told us book after book, line after line in the Old Testament. I was subbing three Fridays ago at Center Point High School in English Lit. I'm glad it wasn't calculus. Couldn't have helped them. And all, all in the hallway, all the doors were open. And I was standing by the door, and I'd given the assignments to the students, and they were working, and um, all the classes in session, all of a sudden, there was shouting. I mean, loud shouting and clapping. And I did what anyone would do. You want to see what the shouting's about. So I walked out to the hall and looked down to the next room, and I could see they were celebrating a birthday. But every classroom door that was open, you could see everyone straining. They couldn't leave their seats. The teachers kept them in order, but they wanted to know what the shouting was about. Well, in Revelation 19, there's a whole lot of shouting. As we begin this march to the end And we see the Lord's return. It begins with this understanding that something is going to take place, that there is going to be such a celebration, your ears cannot handle it. We're going to look at this passage again in the NIV. I love the the way the flow of this text here. There are some great Bible apps you can get on Revelation and study Bibles like the ESV has a great study edition, a lot of great notes in Revelation. MacArthur has a great study Bible, great notes in Revelation. We can't cover all these verses. We're going to hit some of the highlights. So have your Bibles open, have your Bible app open as we work through these uh, almost two chapters this morning. So we see in verse 1 of 19, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. We need to see that things are taking place and marching as events to the end. And these great hallelujahs begin this this understanding and this vision. Hallelujah means literally to praise the Lord. It's the first time this phrase is used in the New Testament. It is found a lot in the Psalms and it is a grand word in the language of the New Testament, an ultimate for praise of God in his word is the ultimate phrase that the writer of this book, the Apostle John, could list here and what he heard from heaven. And here we see the reasons for the shouting. Notice that a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. Have you ever been... The closest thing I can think of in reality in our lives is being at a sporting event when it is so loud and everyone's shouting for the same reason. It just, it just sends chills through your whole being to be a part of that throng. My wife and I were at the Iowa women's game against Indiana when Caitlin hit that final shot at the buzzer. As I said that, I got goosebumps. To be a part of 15,000 plus. 
to see victory in front of you, you couldn't even hear yourself think. It was such the joy and the noise and it just kept crescendoing for several minutes. That's the image we have here. But add a a few billion and the noise that's coming from heaven. Something great is about to take place. We see, first of all, the hallelujah of salvation justice we just read After this is the fall of Babylon in chapters 17 and 18. This great prostitute is destroyed. The the representative of the, the world system. The persecution of the saints who lived during this horrific time is over. Justice is being accomplished. Wrongs are made right. The question is, who is doing the celebration? We make assumptions that the angels, obviously we are part of that, but there's more as we see this text unfold. It is the redeemed souls of the ages, those who have by faith have trusted the God of heaven for their salvation. This massive redeemed throng can't help but say, hallelujah, salvation justice has come. Verse three, and again, They didn't stop. Again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. No question who wins. It's the hallelujah of eternal triumph. The smoke of defeat rises up forever. The smoldering ashes of the world system and destruction. I believe it's an allusion to the coming lake of fire reserved for those who are on the ash heap of history and sin. Then verses four and five, we see the hallelujah of heaven's affirmation. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down. We see those those creatures and those elders first in Revelation 4, 6. And they worshiped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen and hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small. We talked about in previous texts that the elders were probably representative of all the redeemed, maybe the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. We see their names listed in the New Jerusalem and the foundation and the gates. All we know for sure is they, they reflect those who have trusted Christ, the believing church of God. And here again, they are again in worship and they lead out in an amen. Amen just means so be it. We are in agreement. It's almost like they're saying, can I get another amen? Can I get another hallelujah? See what God is doing. It's about ready to accomplish in his people and in his world. If you don't like to raise your hands or sing hallelujah now, you're going to do it in heaven, guaranteed. The peer pressure will be massive. The joy of seeing Jesus in front of you. You can't help but raise your hands and say amen. 
and hallelujah to his men. The end of all things are coming to conclusion. The singular voice, the praise to God for all the redeemed amongst the multitude of voices. Then it comes to this crescendo in verses 6 through 10. The hallelujah of Christ's reign. Look at verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Now like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. I remember going whitewater rafting in West Virginia and we came across around a bend and you heard this roaring like the sound of, of a freight train. It was called Surprise Rapids. You could hear it coming, but when it came, it took your breath away. That that crescendo of noise, you wonder again, where is that coming from? And this multitude in heaven continues to praise the Lord for our God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Our God Almighty reigns. He has dispatched Babylon, the world system, and there's more to come yet in bringing justice to the earth. But our God has come. He's going to reign. Verses 7 through 9, we see the great wedding of the Lamb has come. What is he talking about? Look at verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad. And let's give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and pure or clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints or God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Make sure you get this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Everyone... Everyone loves a wedding. One of the favorite things that pastors get to do, from the rehearsal to the day of the wedding, to the ceremony, to the understanding of God bringing two individuals together, a man and a woman in holy matrimony. And the picture here is a holy spiritual uh, matrimony of bringing the church and the bridegroom together forever. One final ceremony. We know the bride is the church from all the language of the New Testament. Second Corinthians 11, 2 is just one. Paul says, I am jealous of you with a godly jealousy. I promised you one husband to Christ so that I might present you as pure virgin to him. In other words, holy in all respects, obedient to God, righteous acts of the saints, living pure and holy lives. And who was invited? Verse 8 is the saints. It is the holy ones, the church. The, the root word there for saints is holiness. Sanctification comes from the same root word. There's a, such a, a purity and an understanding of what we are to be as the people of God. On the one hand, we are declared righteous 
because of Christ's work on the cross. We gain his righteousness. We're declared holy by him. But then here is the, there's a life, there's to be righteous acts lived in our world. And so the bride is being gathered to the bridegroom. Every wedding has a meal. And here we see a wedding supper. What is the menu? I want to suggest it is a form of communion. The reason I say that is Luke twenty-two fifteen. Christ says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you, my disciples, with you before I suffer, before I go to the cross. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I believe that's right at this moment that the lamb who was slain, whom we've been taking the bread and the cup every Sunday since that first century and remembering his death till he comes, he is going to lead us in that supper. The lamb who was slain now is leading us to say, here I am. I gave my body for you. I gave my blood for you. Let's celebrate now forever in my father's kingdom. You imagine that? All these centuries we've been taking the bread and the cup and now he's there before us. in The Passover joy of eternity. My mother-in-law died about seven years ago on Palm Sunday morning. They had wheeled her to the breakfast table in the cafeteria in the facility she was at in Nebraska. And she bowed her head to pray. And she died right then. I can't imagine. She's bowing in faith and she looks up and there's Jesus. Instantly, it was in just seconds she was gone. This, that's the picture here. The understanding and what we see by faith and do by faith now, it will be realized when the King of kings and the Lord of lords and our Savior stands before us and says, here I am. Let's partake together. I think our reaction be much like John's, look at verse 10. At this, at this news, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. Even in that time, the angelic host says, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's all a prophetic word and understanding who he is. It's all about him and his care and his love, his creation and his death and his resurrection for us. It's the spirit of all that we have borne testimony over the centuries. Don't worship me. Worship God alone. Then verse 11, 
What's going to take place? I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. Jesus now is leaving heaven, coming to bring justice to this earth. Note, it is a white horse of judging, of conquering, not a donkey in his way to Jerusalem. He comes now as king and ruler, not a savior. This warrior king, the just one, the holy one, the colors and the glitter of Babylon were multiple colors and gold and glitter, the simple holiness of whiteness in linen, the simple holiness of, of, of a white horse reflecting the holy one who is riding him. And for holiness to reign, sin must be destroyed. And the justice, my brothers and sisters, that we have all longed for is here. And God will take care of sin once and for all. Verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him riding on two on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, or white and pure. Who are these armies? We're given a clue by what they're wearing, but we just saw in verse 8, it is the people of God who are riding with Jesus to earth. The army is the saints of heaven, the redeemed of all ages, And if you trust in Jesus Christ and you die before this time, you will be, I will be riding in that host to witness the justice of God because of his holiness. Verse 17 is a supper you don't want to be a part of. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice, to all the birds flying in midair, come and gather together for the great supper of God. In other words, to feed on the bodies of those who were slain by the judge of all eternity. The understanding, there's two great suppers, the wedding supper of the lamb, a beautiful holy thing, and then a supper of the birds when God destroys the armies gathered against him. And we see in verse 20 that the battle then is over. Justice is accomplished. The beast was captured. That's the Antichrist, I believe, with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. And with these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped its image And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur or the lake of fire. What we long for, the holiness of God to be realized in our world is one day going to take place. Let's read on. What happens next? And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss 
and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now here is where we get into some various interpretation of what this actual reign of Christ means and looks like. There are basically three views, and those study Bibles I mentioned have a good, a good definitions of each of those. And good Bible teachers disagree. You can disagree with me. You can be wrong. I don't care. All right? Just tease it. We have a lot of fun with this fleshing out and discussing. Good, good, godly men and women disagree. The first view is post-millennial, a symbolic period of a golden age of righteousness where Christ's reign is seen as the, the spiritual reign of Christ in the hearts of believers in the church. A millennial, no millennium. A symbolic is a long period of time, Old Testament prophecies of a thousand your period as being fulfilled now, right now, in the church, or a reference maybe to the eternal state, a symbolism of the eternal state beginning. Premillennial is a literal understanding that this is a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. There are six references to a thousand years in this text. I land on this and this position. In keeping with our consistent use of literal, historical, grammatical principles of interpretation, we need to understand this in its normal understanding of the language. And in Scripture, when, a thousand, when years are used in Scripture, it's literal, not symbolic. The other thing in my understanding is this. The Old Testament prophecies make sense in my mind with a literal understanding of this time on earth. 2 Samuel 7, 8 through 16, the covenant with David to the Messiah and beyond his throne being established forever. Micah 4, the last days the temple will be established. Zechariah 14, 1 through 11, the Lord will be king over all the earth. Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, he'll judge between the nations. You've heard this phrase, they will beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Isaiah 11, the lion will lay down with the lamb and the calf and the lion and yearling together and a little child will lead them. I just personally see that as a reality. A reality of God's reign and it only happens if Satan is not walking to and fro on this earth because he is the great deceiver. And so in verses one and two, he is bound. So he cannot deceive the nations anymore. Then we see in verse 4 the resurrection of the tribulation saints. Notice with me, I saw the thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God they worshiped, had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. The understanding of this long-awaited kingdom rule spoken of by the prophets, the prophetic end of many of these Old Testament prophecies, in my opinion, when there is a 
understanding, a visual understanding of Christ comes and accomplishes all for our salvation, all for his earth, and to rule, begin his eternal rule in a literal place, this earth. But there's one final conflict and Satan's end, verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. He'll go out and deceive again. And one final battle, fire comes from heaven and destroys those who deceives. It reminds us that after the battle of Armageddon, not all are saved. They are ruled. Ten centuries of kingdom rule does not make one a child of God. When Satan is loosed, he does who he is. He deceives as the enemy of God. Then verse 10, the final end of our enemy, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning fire where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is not annihilation in blackness. I can't imagine what those who reject Jesus and what I deserve and what you deserve if we were to reject the holy God. If the God who could burn a bush in front of Moses and it never burn up, he can create a place for all eternity. What do we do about it now? If we look to the end, even the different opinions we may have, that doesn't matter. We all agree he's coming back again. He's coming back to rule in some context, in some form, for all eternity. What do we take with us? Number one, justice day is coming. Be patient. Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. In the context, we are to live in peace, live at peace and love the church, be holy and be just in all our living. Wait for God to avenge. I don't know, just your own heart and my own heart. When someone sins against me on 380, I want justice. I want justice to rule. And the things that go through my head, like I wish I had a bumper car. They'd be in the ditch so fast. That quickly, we want to see justice. Imagine it, just, just multiply that out into what's going on in our world today and the sin that so easily besets us. It's destroying nations, destroying families in our communities because of sin. And we long for justice to be served and peace to come. It is coming. Be patient and live with joy. Secondly, his kingdom will come. He will reign. Verse 9 in this 19, these are the true words of God. These are, this is truth for us. Think of the, the Lord's prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. That's that prayer. That's the long range of that prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that our salvation is both now and yet to come. We are be kingdom people as we live in this world. That's the present aspect of the kingdom. It's already, but not yet. Our salvation has not fully been completed until we see him face to face at that wedding supper of the Lamb. Redemption we have now, and we still wait for eternal redemption when we see him. The kingdom beginning in our hearts through the Messiah coming to a conclusion when we see the Messiah face to face and with him for all eternity. Third thing, and the part is, I have a question I have, is why is even Satan loosed? Why does it end it? But after that 10 centuries, he loose, he's loosed and, and he deceives the people of God? What does that mean? Remember that not everyone who enters that kingdom, I believe, are followers of Jesus, but they are ruled in a world that's full of peace that we've all longed for. With Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I write what one commentator said. He said this. You would think that after a thousand years and the glorious reign of Christ on earth that these earth dwellers would reject Satan. The purpose of Satan's release will be to prove that the unregenerate heart of man is incurably wicked apart from the saving grace of the cross work of Christ. During this thousand year reign, these earth dwellers will not be exposed to the gospel, but to the glorious world. And we will benefit the presence of the Lord of glory. And humankind has said, give us a better world and we will soon be different. But the aftermath of this kingdom rule will prove that humanity needs regeneration, not reformation. It reminds us again of today is the day of salvation. And the invitation to join this heavenly throng, this army, the saints of God made pure by the Lamb's blood shed. In other words, induction into this army is now is now. Hebrews 3, three times says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Where is your heart? Can you shout hallelujah this morning as a prelude to that hallelujah in eternity? We have to see the message of this text and bring it back to today to understand 
to be part of that joyous throng. We need Jesus now. If it wasn't for his cross, it wasn't for our sins paid, it wasn't for his victory over the grave, we have no future. Realize that? 1 Corinthians 15. Now is the day of salvation. And the joy of receiving him, trusting in him, to be part of that heavenly throng as God comes back to earth and establishes his kingdom rule. I love the, the hymn, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. But angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, crown him, Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. May we join the everlasting song and crown him, Lord of all. Today, join that throne. Father, we love you. We honor you with our lives of faith. And we look to celebrate that communion with you face to face. But right now, with the bread and cup in this room and the joy of remembering how we enter Your embrace is through the cross when your arms are outstretched in agony, outstretched in understanding how broken we are apart from you. And you bore our sin on your body. And then you kicked death in the teeth so that we have victory. Sins forgiven forever. So help us to see your face by faith today as we take that bread and dip it in that cup. How great is your love. Father, we come to you in humility, seeking to follow you and obey you. And we're so grateful every day for your grace. We love you, and we come to you only through the matchless, precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.